Thank you, worship team, for leading us. It's one of my favorite songs as we uh, begin this morning, uh, just singing about uh, the love of God in that way. I want to welcome you here to Crossroads Church, as well as those of you joining us online and at Fort Lupton. So glad uh, that you're joining with us as we come together and worship Jesus today. If you are new with us, I want a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, I'd love to do so. Uh, you can catch me at the patio party afterwards today, kind of hanging out in uh, the lobby, but we are so grateful that you've come and worship with us. We believe uh, that bringing our praise and celebration to Jesus for what he's done in our life and the celebration that comes out of that is one of the greatest things that we have. In fact, one of our core values here at Crossroads is that we're all about Jesus. And uh, hopefully you see that today as we uh, walk through our service together. Now, before we get to the sermon today, what I want to do is I want to just uh, ask for just a few moments uh, for me to talk about a little bit of family matters here uh, before we get into the sermon, um, I want to offer my personal encouragement um, for you to remember Crossroads in your year-end giving. Uh, this may come to a surprise to you, or you may or may not know this, but 30% of all uh, money that's given to nonprofits, which includes ministries and churches, comes in the months of November and December. And because of that, I just want to personally encourage you to be thoughtful as you remember Crossroads um, in your giving in 2022. In the last couple of years, despite COVID and and uh, all the things that have culturally happened uh, in our world, uh, Crossroads has actually grown as a church. We are about 10% bigger today in 2022 than we were in 2019. We have more people coming, more people making decisions of faith, more baptisms happening, and for that we are grateful and excited of what God is, is doing. And at the same time as all that's happening, uh, we've kind of started to see a trend that's began that I want to share with you and invite you uh, to personally kind of help uh, reverse the trend here at Crossroads. At the same time of our growth happening here at Crossroads, what we're seeing in a trend is less people, not just even percentage-wise, but just less people overall are giving to Crossroads Church. In other words, as we are growing as a church, the number of people who are giving to Crossroads Church is shrinking. Now, there's a couple of uh, reasons for this trend, so I'm just going to give you three of them. Uh, the first is actually a really good reason. Uh, that never in my life have I seen more ministries and nonprofits and good work going on in our city than I've seen uh, in these last couple of years. There's so much amazing things that you can give your money to, and you should. That's a good reason for this trend. Then you have the second reason, and the second reason is not so much a bad reason, but maybe like some bad reasoning. And kind of the bad reasoning goes like this, that people show up to a large church like, like our church, and um, as they show up here, they have this thought that you don't really need my giving. You don't need my generosity. Look at how large you are. I'm just going to take my giving and I'm going to go to like a smaller organization or smaller ministry and give it there where they really need it. Like I said, this isn't, this isn't a bad, this isn't bad, this, isn't just, this is just simply bad reasoning. And the reason that I say that is because when it comes to small organizations, they need a small number of givers. Medium organizations need a medium number of givers. And large organizations need a large number of givers. My point is, is that even though Crossroads is a large church, and we are, we cross 2,000 regularly in a given month here at Crossroads, that we need givers just as much as smaller ministries do. And while we celebrate the awesome some stuff that's happening all over our city, we do not think that it's a good thing that more people are coming to Crossroads and less people are giving. So that's reason number two. The third reason 
um, in my experience, is that most Christians do not even come close to the biblical rule of thumb for proportional giving, which is about 10%. In church world, we call this the tithe. The Bible commands believers to give about 10% of their annual income away to various causes in a year. Now, this is just a rule of thumb. And if you've ever had conversations with me um, as your pastor in about talking about giving, I've never been one uh, to tell people that all of their tithe has to go to Crossroads Church. It's what my wife and I choose to do every month. 10% of all of our income goes to this church, but I've never pushed that on anyone else. See, I just believe that if most believers in Colorado gave close to the tithe, then Crossroads and ministries and nonprofits would have more money than they know what to do with. But they don't because we aren't. And so really those are the three reasons for this trend. And so uh, in saying that, I've attended Crossroads uh, since 1991. I was 11 years old. You can do the math how old I am now. Um, but uh, 31 years later, I am just as excited today uh, for what Crossroads is doing as any year prior. This year, we've opened our community center. We're engaging more families in the school than we ever have. We're seeing more visitors come to church, and you're staying than we have ever counted. We wrote our entire discipleship program in order to uh, lead to better spiritual growth. We are caring for people better in 2022 than we ever have uh, in the history of our church. In the last four months, listen to this, because of your generosity, we've given over $100,000 away to organizations like Horizon International, Save Our Youth, Inglesia, Victory, Resurrection Beirut, International Ministries, Replenish, and My Choice Pregnancy Center. What all of this tells me is that we have a bright and exciting future ahead of us as a church and that we are running full steam ahead on the vision that God has given us to bring about his kingdom, to increase his kingdom impact both locally and abroad as we become a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church making disciples of the next generation. And so here's my summary of all this. The number of people giving to Crossroads is down just as the need to fund exciting opportunities is in front of us and going up. So here's my ask. If you come here, if you're nurtured here, if you're spiritually growing here, if you come here with any sense of regularity, if you trust us spiritually, support us financially. If you've never given to a church, start with 1% and see what God does from there. And as you think about it this year, uh, you can go to crossroadsabc.com slash give. And what you'll end up there is on a page where you can give through credit, debit, and then we opened up two new options where you can give stocks or cryptocurrencies. Just know that if you give one of those last two stocks or cryptos, uh, what happens is that all gets liquidated and then the cash is, is given to us. And in doing that, you don't have to pay any fees. There's no broker fees to you on that. And you don't have to pay capital gains tax. So it's like a double bonus, all right? So uh, I wanna thank you for giving me that um, moment uh, to talk about that. If you're new with us, uh, you'll probably hear this next year this time, all right? So you probably won't ever hear this uh, for at least one more year. Uh, but if you are a giver here at Crossroads and you faithfully give and support this church, I want to say thank you to you. Uh, your generosity allows us to do some awesome, awesome things. So with that, can I pray for us? And then we'll dive into our sermon today. Father, we are grateful to be a part of this body of believers. God, together we are uh, moving into this community and uh, making an impact in this world, uh, Lord, deep and wide. Uh, Lord, we're seeing people come uh, to know you and to see you, people who are far away from you, uh, Lord, giving their life to you. And uh, Lord, I am grateful for the many, many people, Lord, for the many people who do financially support this church. 
Lord, their generosity is, is, is so amazing to me, and I'm humbled, I'm humbled, Lord, to be a part of this, uh, to give of my own money to this, to this place in such a way that, that we do make an inc- impact for your kingdom. And Father, I pray that uh, today, as um, uh, Lord, as we step into our time in the word, and Lord, as we transition our minds from this little family announcement to uh, the pain and the sorrow and the grief that we experience, where we, in our lives, cannot avoid walking through the valley of the shadow. God, I pray that you would be with us and that you would uh, speak to our hearts today. Lord, we give our time to you with all the glory and all the praise. And it's Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today we are wrapping up our series through the valley where we've been talking over the last couple of weeks of what it looks like to uh, walk through this world as we experience sorrow and pain and loss and and grief in our lives. And the reality is what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is is that we really cannot escape it. Not, not, you know, during uh, the rest of the year, not during the holidays, that there's really no escaping walking through the valley. And so the question that we've been looking at and what we've been asking is what does it look like when we are led through the valley of the shadow? Like, what does it look like when we go through our, our pain and our loss and our grieving in our lives? And as we've walked through this series, and as Pastor Chris has done just a fantastic job over these last uh, two weeks of leading in the series, one of the things that keeps coming back to me is a story that a Harvard professor tells uh, his class almost every year. And it's about his five-year-old son who was working on this art project in his kindergarten class. And um, this kid was, was making this art project out of plaster. It was nothing really um, particular, but with a lot of uh, glue and glitter and elbow, you know, grease, uh, he built this beautiful art project. Uh, he took this art project and he wrapped it himself. And this was a gift that he was going to give his dad. He was going to give it to his dad, this Harvard professor. And he was super excited for the day that would come uh, that, he would, that he would give this amazing gift to his dad. It was three months in the making. And so in the midst of all of his excitement, um, eventually the time came and they had an assembly at school where all the parents gathered in the cafeteria and the kindergarten kids, they did their cute little thing, you know, where they did the, uh, their presentation from the stage and all the parents applauded. And then at the end, the teacher got up and she told all the kids that now's the time that you can go get your, your gift and you can, you can take it home and give it to whoever you've prepared it for. And so the five-year-old, you know, ran with excitement over to his gift. He picked it up. He's running through the cafeteria at full speed. He trips over his shoelace. And as he falls to his ground, to the ground, the gift goes up in the air and soon hits the floor and just shatters over the cafeteria floor. All of the auditorium goes silent realizing the magnitude of the loss. The five-year-old rushes over to his broken art project, this gift that he had made for his dad, and he just starts to wail, just starts to cry. Both of his parents rush over to him, and, and his dad, not knowing what to say, pats his little son on the, on the back and says, it's okay, son, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. In that moment, the mom looked at her husband with the look that, guys, you know when your wife looks at you, right? And she looked at both of her men and she said, no, it does matter. It matters a lot. And she takes her son and she cradles him in his hands and she just allows him to cry. And after a few moments, the the crying subsides and she looks at her son and she says, now let's see what we can make of these broken pieces. They take it home and with mom's magic and a little bit of glue, they piece together this multicolored butterfly that actually was more beautiful than anything, you know, pre-tragedy that this kid had made. He wrapped it up, he gave it to his dad. 
And from that point forward, this Harvard professor put that multicolored butterfly on his desk. Every day, it was a reminder to him that grief is real, that loss hurts, and that even out of tragedy, beauty can eventually emerge. And that story just reminds me about what this series is basically all about. It's about understanding our sorrow and our pain, realizing that grief is real, that loss hurts, and even in the midst of great loss, great beauty can eventually come. And so today, as we wrap up this series, what I want to take a moment to share with you is laments. I want to talk about lament and what lament is and the role that it plays in our life. And, and as we move through the, sh- the valley of the shadow, uh, how it is that we, that we interact with the reality of laments. See, the reality is that every single one of us enters into this world crying, don't we? That we don't remember it, we don't remember the moment, but the reality is, is that the first sound that we utter after leaving the warm and protected womb of our mother is a loud protest as we enter into this world. Like we enter into this world wailing. To cry is human, isn't it? And yet as we experience this life, we quickly realize that we are not the only ones of the created order that experience grief and pain. The way that the Apostle Paul would write it is this, that all of creation groans for its creator. That because of Adam, we all feel the effects of this broken world and the sin of which is in it. And death in our life serves as the ultimate reminder that things are not right in this world, that this is not the way that it ought to be, but it's not the only reminder, is it? We have other reminders like cancer, addictions, failed marriages, broken relationships, abuse, financial trouble, loneliness. The reality of the human experience is we don't just stop crying after birth. It continues because we live in a broken world, which brings us to laments. That when it comes to lament, the world, even in Christian circles, lament is misunderstood. That oftentimes we define lament as, as simply like crying. But it's not crying, it's, it's different and it's uniquely Christian. While tears and sorrows are a part of humanity, lament is different from crying because lament is a form of prayer in the Bible that is given to us as we navigate this broken world. It's more than an expression of sorrow or the venting of emotion that lament is talking to God about our pain. And it has a unique purpose to express our continued trust in God when the world around us is collapsing. The lament is an invitation by God to trust in him, to pour out our, our fears, our frustrations, our angers, our, our sorrows, for the purpose of us helping renew our confidence in him. That lament is the prayer language for God's people as they live in a world marred by sin, where grief is real and pain is hard. Lament is the language of God's people. To cry is human, but to lament is deeply Christian. When we open the Bibles, we find these songs of sorrow throughout the scriptures. We open up the songbook of the Bible, we call it the Psalms, 
And of the Psalms, over one-third of the Psalms are written laments. I mean, just put that in perspective for a moment. There's 150 Psalms, and 60 of them are songs of sorrow. We have a whole book in the Old Testament that we call Lamentations, Lamentations, written to, to help us experience and understand the sorrow that comes with this life. We fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus on the eve of crucifixion as he's contemplating what's coming to him with the cross. He's pleading with God the Father saying, Father, if there's any other way, let it be so. Let it be so. That when it comes to laments, lament turns your face. It turns our face towards God when sorrow, when sorrow tempts us to distance ourselves from it. That when it comes to the laments of the Bible and the way that the Bible teaches us about lament, lament turns our face towards God when our sorrow tempts us to distance ourselves from him. So today what I want to do in our time is I want to reintroduce you, reintroduce you to this prayer language by sharing with you from one of the, the great laments of scripture in Psalm chapter 13. If you have your Bible, whether it's in an app or a book, you can go ahead and turn there. Psalm 13 is written by King David. He was the second king of Israel. And most scholars believe that David wrote this lament as his son Absalom was turning from him and actually coming for the throne. He was coming to kill David in order to take the throne. Now the reality is, is that we don't know the exact situation in which David wrote this lament, but what we do know is that the feelings that David expresses is the universal feelings that we feel when trials, pain, and suffering come our way. David begins his lament in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. He says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The lament does not begin with an introduction. It simply goes into anguish. How long, O God? It's a question familiar in the scriptures. One of the things that I love about the Bible, it doesn't try to hide the pain and the loss that we experience in this world, but rather it leans into it. Over 50 times this question is asked in some form in the scriptures, how long, O Lord? It's a question that we're familiar with in our own life, isn't it? The pressures build in our lives. Prayers feel like they go unheard. God's promises sit unfulfilled. That no matter where David looks in this world, the comfort he seeks eludes him. God's face hidden from him, sorrows overwhelm him. All around him is the enemies, and he looks up to the heavens, and he says, how long, how long, how long, how long? Four times in two verses. How long, God? And yet even in the midst of his despair, David finds faith has not forsaken him. For all the misery that's wrapped up in his life in this moment, David's question of how long, he knows that God's intervention is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. For David, it's not a matter if God will intervene, but when God will intervene. How long, God, until you eventually act? He's not simply throwing his pain at a godless sky. But he's taking his grief in his despair. And this is the song of distressed trust. God, I trust in you. But it's getting hard down here. Like you can see it, can't you? 
You know that, that I'm sending up these prayers and, and the silence, it's deafening, you get that? Like how long, oh God? How long must I wait? How long must I feel like you've forgotten my name? Like how long must I sit in the darkness, God? We've been there. Every single one of us has, has been where David is. And as David shares the turmoil of his soul, he turns his face upon to God and he boldly asks for help in verse three. He says, consider me and answer me, O God, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. See, it's almost as with each breath, David's faith grows stronger. By verse 3, God is not only, O Lord, but his language has changed. David's now crying out, O Lord, my God. And his prayer moves from sorrow to petition. Consider and answer me, God. Like, light up my eyes. Don't leave me here in the darkness. And right here we see it. We see D David's genuine faith. I mean, oftentimes when we open up the scriptures, you'll, you'll come across a verse that says that David was a man after God's own heart. But if you know David's life and you've read David's life, you go, really? Like, like what about the eight wives at one time? Or the hundreds, if not thousands of mistresses? or that child that was had out of wedlock, or, or the premeditated murder. A man after God's own heart? Really? If anything, David's story in the Bible shows us that God's mercy and grace is so full. It's so full that God can make beautiful things out of the ashes and dust of our lives. But David's testimony is that despite all the ugliness in his life, that he was not afraid to seek God in the pain. That we are never too far away to be rescued. And in God's economy, seeking God's help in the midst of the pain is an act of faith. And for any one of us who's gone through a trial in our lives, we realize how true this statement is. Seeking God's help while in pain is an act of faith. See, sorrow can create such a deadly silence. As we come face to face, as we gravitate between despair, there is no hope, and, and complete denial, everything's fine. But lament comes in and it holds those two things at bay and it invites us to dare in hope. It dares us to hope in the promises of God while in the pain. See, when we ask for God's help in the midst of the pain, we are daring to hope in the promises of God. And as David dares to hope, he prays these words in verse five, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I've trusted in your steadfast love. And because of your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And because of your steadfast love, I will sing to the Lord. And because of your steadfast love, he has dealt bountifully with me. In these last words of Psalm 13, we see the destination of our laments. All roads lead here. 
more than the stages of grief, our lament moves us to renew our commitment to trust in God, even as we navigate the brokenness of this life. See, most of us who are people of faith, we look back upon God's wondrous deeds of redemption, and we cannot help but praise him. We cannot help but praise God as the Israelites pass through the Red Sea with just a word. We cannot help but bring praise to God as we watch the, the giant be slain by a shepherd's sling. We cannot help but praise God as he sends his son to suffer and to die on the cross. And we cannot help but bring praise to God as that tomb is rolled away on Sunday morning and that same son is resurrected from the dead. And yet our faith goes deeper still, doesn't it? See, our faith is not content to praise God only after we have been delivered. But our faith teaches us to praise him even before the deliverance comes. That we bring praise not only after he's parted the Red Seas, but even as the Egyptians are barreling down on the armies of Israel. We don't simply bring praise after the giant has been slayed, but while Goliath is standing there mocking Israel. We don't simply bring praise when the stone is rolled away from the tomb, but on the silence of Saturday. I mean, come on. For David, nothing has changed. Literally, not one circumstance in his life has changed in these six verses. His circumstances have not changed. His prayer has not been answered. The deliverance that he longs for has not come. And yet, in this lament, we see him move from from despair where it begins to loosen its grip and the lament gives away to praise. And the question that we ask is why? Why, like, like what's going on here? It doesn't make any sense, nothing's changed. What's going on in his heart that he moves from despair to praise to even joy? See, in his prayerful lament, God reminds him of something that completely changes his perspective. He reminds him of his steadfast love. In Psalm 103, David writes to us about God's steadfast love and why it had such an impact on his fainting soul. In Psalm 103, verse one, he wrote, he writes these words. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was in it within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him in his righteousness to his children's children. See, for David, he understood that from the perspective of time, the steadfast love of the Lord was everlasting to everlasting, which means the steadfast love of God goes on forever. From David's perspective of space, the steadfast love of God was higher than the heavens are from the earth. From the perspective of God's character, the steadfast love of the, of the Lord flows 
from his abundance and his generosity. The steadfast love is not just something that's thrown around kind of willy-nilly in the Bible, but the steadfast love of God is the pledge to all of God's promises in the Bible. It's while even in the midst of David's lament that he can sing God's praise. It's why he can bow down to his knees and bring worship. It's why his lament and despair fades away to praise, to even joy. It's why he can walk through the valley of the shadow and look to the heavens with joy. See, while crying is fundamentally, is fundamental to humanity, Christians lament because they know the steadfast love of God. They know it's true, they know it's sovereign, they know it's good. In the center of my kitchen sits this picture with these words on it. And these words are uh, words written by a friend of mine named Christy Curry. Christy Curry um, is someone that I went to college with. And Christy Curry, um, in many ways, uh, saw something in me and dared me to believe that God had something for me in the church. In many ways, I am your senior pastor because of the push that Christy gave to me in college. In 2021, at age 42, Christy uh, lost her battle to breast cancer and passed away. Before her death, she wrote this beautiful lament. And this lament sits in the center of our house as a reminder to us that grief is real, that pain is hard, and that our faith teaches us, our faith teaches us that praise doesn't just come in the deliverance, but comes in the journey as well. I want you to listen to Christie's lament this morning. I'm not a phone person. Anyone who has any type of relationship with me can confirm that. Jason, my husband, pays the biggest price for that, followed by close family, friends, doctor's offices, the pharmacy. You get it. What frustrates me the most is forever missing the once in a blue moon phone call from the school. Hey, your kid needs to go to the ER with a split lip or your kid just threw up, can you come get him? Two phone calls, however, I did answer, and both instantaneously changed the course of my life. One I answered five years ago while driving a car home from school in the rain with my four-year-old in the back seat. The other I answered almost two years ago, sitting next to Jason on our deck. Both told me of cancer. The first, life-threatening. The second, terminal. The first verses I read after the phone call five years ago were in Psalm 95. The last words I read on the page before the tears completely clouded my vision were, today, if you hear my voice. These words have a simple meaning. If I hear God's voice, then I know what he wants me to do, and then obey. God does not play games with us. When he points us in a certain direction or gives a certain assignment, we who have the Holy Spirit in us, we just 
No, it's supported or clearly communicated through scripture. It could come through another trusted believer or circumstance, but when it's his voice, we listen and we obey. Today, if you hear my voice meant for me from God, Christy, you're entering onto a road that I am allowing, but also leading you through. You don't know how long it is or why you're on it. You don't know the many assignments along the way that I will give to you, but I'm asking you to do it, to simply obey and walk this new road. This road, of course, was named cancer. If I'm honest, I've not spent every moment of the last five years with an attitude that would impress anyone. Depending on what month or year it is, you'd find me walking, running, skipping, crawling, limping, dragging, or just laying in a fetal position. You'd hear laughing, crying, worshiping, silence, screaming, pleading, whimpering, complaining, or confessing. Now today, and five years into this, I look back in something of a blur, a haze. I am so tired. I can't always see straight. The finish line has yet to be revealed. Jesus has called home so many others that were on a similar road. Each day, I'm tempted to not get up, to not move. Granted, there are many days that I physically cannot get out of bed, but I mean to move forward on this road. Why should I? Because I'm so strong or such a fighter? No because I have the determination to beat cancer? No. Because it will make me more spiritual? No. Because other people will be impressed? No. Because God's kindness can be measured by how I feel or my circumstance? No. Because I understand the big picture and everything makes sense to me? No. Because I know the pain will end soon? No. Because I'm one of those special people who knows every verse by heart and has a constant joy in all things? No. I do it because he asked me to. The six surgeries, the 67 chemo infusions, the hair loss, the radiation, the endless pills, endless more months of chemo and more side effects, the mouth sores, the hormone shots, insomnia, more radiation, loss of feeling in my foot, headaches, stomach issues, aching bones, the constant flu-like feelings, throwing up hundreds of shots with various side effects of their own, burns on my skin, swollen feet, stomach and face, extreme weight loss and gain, 
nails turning brown, nosebleeds, loss of taste. I do it because he asked me to. The wheelchairs, the cane, the months I've had to be separated from my kids, the spiritual warfare, the dark pit of depression, the unknowns, the questions and doubts, the loneliness, the loss of my full mom role, the loss of my full wife role, missing school, sports, dance, and church activities, not tucking my kids in at night because the stairs are too daunting, the nightmares, the inability to pace myself, the pressure to stay alive, the loss of feeling God's love, the threatening temptations to question his love and his compassion, watching my kids and my husband ache, watching my kids get left behind time after time while I get treated, using every dollar to pay for my treatments, the guilt of all the pain I have caused people, the guilt of how much it's costing our family to fight this disease, the hundreds of days in bed, anguished with both physical and emotional pain. I'll do it because he asked me to. Why? The answer is simple and easy and true. When I cross my finish line, I get to see my Savior, my Jesus, my shepherd. I get to see his kind face, his kind eyes, his smile. I get to see the Son of God who died in my place so that I could have eternal life. I get to feel the release of all pain knowing that all along he and he alone truly understood the depths he took me in both suffering and joy. And then it will matter that I did what he asked me to. It will be all I care about and easily worth it. Not because it got me to heaven, not because in any way did I have to earn the love of my king, but because it's not this life that I'm living for. It is the one to come. The kingdom is more real than the world we live in now, a place where I have the opportunity to reign with Christ, to be rewarded because I did what he asked me to. The suffering I have endured during my lifetime is very small compared to so many others around the world. And if I would write down the thousands of ways God has shown his kindness to me through my family, friends, church, YFC and our community, and hundreds of others offering thousands of prayers and a completely undeserved amount of generosity, it would take you days to read it. It's true, I am very tired. This road has not always been easy for me and I know that this battle is not over. So tomorrow when I get up and trust him with another day, I'll do it 
because he asked me to. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, To cry, it's human. To lament, is profoundly Christian. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and Lord, the reality is, is that every single one of us at some point in our lives have cried out the way that David cried out. How long, O Lord? Knowing and trusting that it's not if you will intervene, but just simply when. And so, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would hear the laments of your people, that our lament would push away the despair that tells us that there is no hope. Lord, that it would push away the denial that it's all fine. And Lord, that we can rest in the valley that you're leading us through. And in that valley, Lord, we can come and we can see you. We can walk through the valley because you ask us to. And so, Father, I pray that your grace and your mercy would fall upon us. that like David 2,000 years ago, like Christy just a few short years ago, Lord, that we would be able to rest and find peace in your steadfast love today. God, we pray all of this in your son's name, the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Today, if God is whispering to you in your pain and in your sorrow, I want you to know that, that he's there for you. And nothing would bring us greater joy than in the midst of your pain to introduce you to the one who can bring joy and peace even in the pain. If you want to have a conversation of what it looks like to trust Jesus as your Savior, if, if you want to, look, want to know what it looks like to, to carry the faith that we proclaim to have today, you can simply text the word Jesus to our text number 720-513-1933. Today we come together and we celebrate communion and we do so, Lord, on the promises of God's steadfast love. That it was right here at the cross where his body was broken, where his blood was poured out, that his steadfast love was on display for all to see in such a way that it sealed the promise of every promise that he ever made to us. And so today, in joy and in celebration, we eat of the bread knowing that our sins are forgiven. and we drink of the cup, knowing that in this, we have life. I'm gonna ask you to stand, and uh, as we stand together, we're gonna sing a song that's written out of Psalm 95, and together we're gonna proclaim the love that God has for us. 
If at any moment over the next couple of minutes, if you need prayer, I'm gonna invite you to go and make your way to the prayer banner. We'll have people to pray for you there online. You can click the button, but let's sing together.